0: Well good morning again everybody. I'm so happy to be able to uh, be with you here this morning and um Welcoming you to Pomerado Christian Church, a place in which we recognize that we want to help people get plugged into the people and the purpose of the church, get people in community. That we want to recognize we're not perfect people, but we're people who have been and are being changed by God to make a change in this world. This idea of discipleship, being changed by God and growing, and then also this idea that we're called to be witnesses to who God is, what He's done, and how He loves. And we do that through our words and our deeds. So through sharing our faith with our words. But also, as 1 John 3.18 talks about, by letting our actions reveal those words. And not just by tongue, but through our deeds, showing the love of Jesus to people. And so, um, as our church initials, are PCC, those verbs or those ideas of being plugged in, changed by, and called to, are a way to help us hopefully remember those things. And then also help call us to live those things out individually. Community discipleship and sharing and serving but also that we would do those things as a church. And so continue to do them after 50 great years and continuing to do those things in a way that would honor and please God and use us to continue to be a light in a dark place here uh, in San Diego County. So... Uh, we're so glad to spend this time with you. And and we are concluding this morning our series called The Box of Not Yets. And the idea behind The Box of Not Yets, I'm going to take just a couple minutes to review where we've been. If you want to be able to, to follow up or to catch up if you've missed one or two or four of them, um, you have the opportunity to listen um, at our website, pomerato.com slash messages. They're also available um, on Apple iTunes, podcasts, and uh, Google Play. So you can catch up in a few different ways. But I just want to give you the main point for each of the different sermons so that we can hopefully see where we've been and be ready for where God will take us this morning. And so the idea behind the whole series is that picturing a Christmas box that we're going to give as a gift to Jesus, but then we say, I want to give this to you, Lord, but not yet. I'm going to hold on to things. I have stuff that's still going on in my life. I'll, I'll do it at some point, but not yet. And so we started addressing a few things that as Christians, for those of us who've given our lives to the Lord, that these are things we know we're called to, but sometimes we put them off. And so the first thing we talked about was the idea of sharing our faith and and recognizing that if we were to keep one resolution this year, may it not just be to make our own lives better, but to make Jesus better known in the lives of others. That it wouldn't just be about self-improvement, but that would be about the idea of improving people's lives by pointing them to Jesus and changing generations and generations following that decision. Then we talked about the idea of connecting, about not just reaching and then connecting into people and saying that if you want to go fast somewhere, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Christian transformation happens through association with others, not isolation from others. That Christianity, our faith, our walk is a team sport. It's not something we were ever meant to do on our own. And so if we self-impose a solitary confinement, if we self-impose walls that separate us from other believers that we're missing out on the life God has for us and we're missing out on the community and the body of Christ that is the bride of Christ that Jesus wants us to be a part of. The next idea that we talked about with this idea of growing and, and saying that the best way to grow isn't just to listen to what people say, but it's choosing to spend time with, or spending time with God and choosing to listen and obey. This idea that it shows that people, different kind of experts in different kind of fields tell us all these different kind of pieces of advice and they could go just in one ear and out the other. But when we spend time with God, In relationship and prayer and devotion and whatever that looks like, and we spend time with him, we have to choose to not just listen to what he says, but to actually obey it. Because listening and obedience is this word Shema in Deuteronomy 6, 4, this idea of they're both the same idea that you listen and obey. You can't do one without the other. And so when we choose to listen to what God says, we spend time with him. We choose to not just let what he says go in one ear and out the other, but we obey and we have that be part of our lives. Then the idea we talked about was this, this point of serving. The fact that the, this being set apart for service wasn't just for the special few. It's the calling for all of us, and that's including you. That you all have been given spiritual gifts. That your gifts are not for your own good, but your gifts are for the common good. To edify and to build up and to be part of the body of Christ. It's not just for the people who are paid to do it. All of us, our ministers being able to use and servants being able to use the gifts God has given us. And then last week we talked about this idea that one of the greatest ways that God's people can praise him is by choosing to give generously, to be able to give to him, recognize that he's already given so much to us, to be rich in good deeds rather than just focusing on gathering earthly riches. And so we talked about that idea last week. And so with all of that context in mind, we're going to be talking about a topic that doesn't necessarily oversee all those, but has a place in each one of those. And that's the idea that I'll fully surrender, but not yet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each and every person that is here uh, in this place and and for those that are listening online as well. Lord, I pray that you would um, speak to each and every person and show them how much you love them. I pray that they would know that they are prayed for, cared for, and loved before they walk into this room, before they push play online. And Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way. Lord, in a topic that might be hard to talk about, Lord, but may may that be the cry of our hearts that we would surrender fully to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, I am um, 50% Guamanian, more specifically, 50% Chamorro. So the Chamorro tribe are the native people, the indigenous people on the the island of Guam. Um, Some people, if you know anything about Guam, you're like, isn't that like sort of a state. Yeah, it's kind of a state. It's a territory. Um, but it's one of those things where I don't know much about the culture. I'm learning a little bit here and there, but, but there's great pride in that culture. And I, and I remember learning things like um, at its longest point, north to south, it's 32 miles long. At its widest point, it's eight miles wide. And so it's one of those where it's super small. And so when I'm driving around here, uh, you can see people who have like the Guamanian flag on the back of their car. And I look at them and I'm like, we're probably related because it's very small there. (laughs) Um, And so, in fact, I used to have a Guamanian flag hanging up in my room, a full size flag that I would put um, on my wall. And again, it was something that there's something about having a flag that kind of, I don't know, like it just creates pride in us, right? And so, the pride that I had in being Guamanian, being Chamorro, was a little dampered one day when I had one of my friends came over and he looked at the flag on my wall and he's like, it kind of looks like a five-year-old kid, you that. I was like, you take that back. That's mean. Um, and so it was one of those where we, I've had that up there and... Different flags can evoke different emotions in us, right? So for me, this is something where I want to learn about my heritage, learn about my legacy, and, and, and there's pride in that. But we also think about our, our American flag as a country, right? We think about the stars and the stripes. We think about those who have fought for our freedoms. We think about those who have served, who are currently serving, and the family members that are serving our country by being there and, and allowing... Um, their family member to go and serve in the military. And so you think about the American flag and there's a lot of emotions there, a lot of good things there. But there's one flag, unlike the Guamanian flag for me, unlike the American flag for many of us, there's one flag that we are very rarely proud or excited to see flying with us. And that's the white flag of surrender. Because a white flag of surrender implies that We've lost and we're Americans. We don't ever want to admit that we lose, right? We want to win. We want to be the best, want to be the greatest, want to be the smartest, want to be the richest, want to be the best. And that drives so much of us. That's what's helped us to be a great nation is that we have that drive. And so for someone to then wave a white flag and for this idea to be like, oh, we, we surrender, we give up, it goes completely against the fiber of much of our culture. That whenever things are tough, we're told in the American dream to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it work or to persevere. And yet, because of that, whenever the Bible talks about surrender or giving up or sacrificing or laying down our lives or doing something that we don't want to do or that we think isn't great, because of that idea, we don't want to give up, we don't want to surrender. Giving up our lives to Jesus, surrendering our lives to Jesus is something that can be really tough for us. And so our main point for this morning is that we will always have, or we will continue with a not-yet mindset until we fully surrender. We will continue with a not-yet mindset until we fully surrender surrender. If you have your Bibles with you or you want to use the church Bible that's in the seat in front of you, we're going to be in 1 Kings 19 verses 19 through 21. And as we open that, we're just going to spend time in these three verses here. And we're going to take a few moments. I'm going to read it briefly now, and then we're going to dissect it a little bit in a few moments. But as you're turning there, and as we're continuing with the idea, we'll continue with a not yet mindset until we fully surrender our lives. The first part of our notes there is to look at why we still have a not yet mindset. Let's read. I'm going to read First Kings 19 verses 19 through 21. So Elijah went out, went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him and Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant and became his servant. And so we're going to dissect that in a few moments, but in our points here, why we still have a not yet mindset, the first thing that we have here that we want to write down is that we don't acknowledge the principle of the path. The principle of the path. The principle of the path is... uh, by um, an author named Andy Stanley. He's a pastor at North Point Church down in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, he's got a lot of leadership podcasts. He's the son of Charles Stanley. Some of you may be more familiar with his dad, uh, but just uh, an incredible uh, leader. And he talks about this idea of the principle of the path. And And the next page or the next note is going to describe that for us. It says, according to Andy Stanley, the principle of the path says this, that direction not intention determines our destination. Direction, not intention, determines our destination. What does that mean? And, and we maybe help with a geographical understanding of this. So if I get our family together and we decide that we're going to take the girls to Disneyland we're going to say, we're going to go to Disneyland and, and we make sure that we get them all ready to go. And we end up, instead of going north, we end up going on the 15 South and then the 8 East. No matter how much I wanted and intended for us to go to Disneyland, we're not going to end up in Disneyland. We're going to end up in Arizona because the direction, not the intention, determines our destination. That it doesn't matter how much I intended and say, okay, we bought the tickets online. We're going to make sure we have our Disneyland tickets ready. In fact, we're going to make sure that they're wearing their frozen t-shirts and a mini sweatshirt. In fact, we're going to pack the mini ear muffs or the ears that they have with their names on them. And we're going to make sure that they're sitting in their car and we're going to Disneyland. But if I still have the direction I am going, going somewhere that's the 15 South to the 8 East, we will never, Get to Disneyland. So it makes sense to us in a geographical location that our direction, not our intention, determines our destination. And we talk about that here today because we see that it makes sense when it comes to geographic destinations, but somehow that same idea doesn't always click when it comes to the direction of our lives, the path that our lives have taken or will take, that we have problems in our lives and we don't recognize that part of those problems is that our direction is misaligned with our intention. And so we see this, Andy Stanley talks about this, he says, I've talked to many individuals who want to discuss their problems, but they don't really have problems, they have chosen to live in the wrong direction. They don't need a solution. They need a new direction. And so this idea points us to the fact that we could still say we want to go somewhere. and We say we want to do something. We can say that we want to go to a certain school or that we want to get a certain job, that we want to live in a certain place. I mean, whatever it is, we could say we want that, but... If we say we want that goal, and yet we don't have any study habits when we're teenagers, will we ever get the job that we want and the school that we want and the career that we want? Do we make the decision today to choose to live in a way that it's not our intention, what we want, we say we want rather, but it's our direction that determines our destination and where we go? That I had a pastor who spoke at a a summer camp when I was one of the pastors at my old church, And he had this, I think I've shared it with you, that's not grammatically great, but it's memorable where it's, if you always do what you've always got, you'll always get what you've always got. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. Steve and I messed it up. But this idea that it's the same idea that what's the definition of insanity that we hear all the time? It's doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So we say that we have problems in our lives, but sometimes it's just we've chosen the wrong direction. We've chosen the wrong road. And what we see here with Andy Stanley is that one gets, in the notes, one gets to the place one wants to be the same way one got to the place that one didn't want to be, by putting one foot in front of the other and moving in a specific direction. So if you stay in your life and you take one step and you say, okay, I'm over here and, and I've chosen this direction, but my intention is to get closer to God, but I've chosen this direction. And then you look back and you say, how did I get this far? How did I get so far away from where I wanted to be, where I intended to be? It's one step at a time. One step, one choice, one day at a time. We either align our intention with our actual direction, or we say we want one thing and we go the other way. But that means that we can also choose to change our direction one step at a time to get to where we want to go. And what happens so much is that we have one direction and we go in one direction and we need to do a literal repentance. That repentance is this idea of just a U-turn 180 and going in another direction. That we all have the opportunity to repent and to do a U-turn in our lives. And so... We see this idea, I'm listening to a book called Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. And in this book, it talks about how to handle difficult conversations, how to, how to address conflict, how to do those certain things. And in that book, she gives an illustration that was really um, hit me h- hard at home, so I wanna be able to share it with you. That she said, she was sitting at a conference and she was sharing and she had a guy named Dave come on stage. And she said, Dave, would you mind just sharing with us uh, something that you're struggling with right now? And, and as you get ready to prepare for that, I have three different groups in the audience and I want you all to listen for something different. You over here, you're the first third. What I want you guys to listen to is what is it that he is saying? What is the content of the words that Dave is going to share with us? That's your job. Over here in the middle, I want you guys to listen to the emotion. What is this feeling? How does this make him feel? How does Dave respond emotionally to what he's saying? I want you guys to listen to his emotion. And then you over here is the final third. What I want you all to focus on is his intention. What is it that he's intending to do? So Dave comes up and he shares. And maybe the reason why this stuck to me was the idea that he's talking about his struggle with weight loss and how he was really something where he shared some of the things that he'd done and, and some of the ways that he felt. He spoke for a few minutes there. And then Susan asked him to stop speaking. And so she says, okay, thank you, Dave. Thank you for sharing. Come over here and listen to what they have to say. So he, she comes over to this first group and says, okay, what, what did you hear him say? What was the content? And they would say, oh, well, he's tried this type of diet or he tried this, or he, this is what he did. This is the content of what he said. She said, Dave, does that sound about right? He says, yeah, no, that, that sounds about right. That's the content. And she went to the center section and said, what did you hear of the emotion? What was he feeling? She says, well, they share, he he seems really frustrated, uh, discouraged, maybe a little hopeless and just kind of angry that this is still an issue for him. Dave, does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds right. And then she goes to this one, this group and says, what did you hear about his intention? And they said, Dave's never going to lose the weight because listening to what he's talking about, There's no action behind it to determine that his direction is any different. And there's no action behind it. that His intention might say, oh, I'm gonna lose weight. But if his direction is what determines his destination, not his intention, they're like, he'll never lose the weight. And Dave was shocked. But it underlies the issue that many of us have. It underlies the fact that we can so often say one thing and then make conscious choices one step, one day at a time to do something completely different. We want to surrender our lives but we say, Lord, I want to be able to, to share my faith. I want to be able to connect in community. I want to be able to grow in you. I want to be able to serve you. I want to be able to give generously. But all of that is couched in the idea that we fail to determine our steps and our direction in a way that would make that happen. And all of that is couched and speaks into the idea that we have not yet surrendered every aspect of our lives. Maybe we've surrendered our finances, and we give to God, and that's awesome, but maybe we haven't surrendered our gifts, and we say, this is just for me, and in the workplace. Maybe we've surrendered the uh, the time in order to connect with people, but yet we've never actually done any spiritual disciplines in order to grow. That we haven't surrendered everything yet, and as a nation, as a culture, as a people who see that surrender is a difficult word for us to, to encapsulator to walk alongside, this is a tension that we will always continue with a not yet mindset until we fully surrender, until we recognize that it's not about our intention. Because as Andy Stanley says, direction, not intention, determines our destination. We can say that we want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, just as I could say we want to go to Disneyland. But if we go in the opposite direction, neither will ever happen. And so Annie Stanley gives this piece of advice. He says, prudent people look as far down the road as possible when they make this, when making decisions, they stop and they say, I'm going to look at this road and I'm going to look at this road and I'm going to decide as far as I can, how, where this road's going to take me. Not where I intended to take me, but where does the direction actually dictate our destination? And they use that as a way to determine where they go. So we look at this idea of not failing to acknowledge the principle of the path. We also, one of the reasons we have this mindset is that we adhere to a gospel of addition without subtraction. We adhere to a gospel of addition without subtraction. That I think the idea of wanting to just add more is something that is so natural for us. That even as children, we recognize that we believe that more is better. And so uh, a little while ago, I think last week or so, Shaylin, or sorry, Steph and Elise uh, decided they wanted to do one another's hair. And so Steph was going to do Elise's hair. Elise was going to do Steph's hair. And so the first picture I have is of Elise's hair. That it's in very nice bows and it's, uh, there's clips right here and, and like everything's matching. It's very nice. It's far more advanced than my like messy ponytail. That is the extent of my hair knowledge. Um, and so there's, there's Elise with Steph having done her hair. And then we get to see the picture of how Elise did Stephanie's hair. Can we show the next picture? Because when you're a kid, one bow is not enough. When you're a kid, you want to keep adding bows. And so the bows on the front aren't even enough. Let's go to the back and add some bows there as well. And so as a kid, we always think that adding more is better. But we also know that addition without subtraction Adding Christ to our lives without subtracting the sin that take us away from Christ in our lives will make us to think that we are having an intention to grow, but we're not taking away the things that hold us back from taking those steps. And so we see here that Patrick Morley, he talks about this. He says, the American gospel has evolved into a gospel of addition without subtraction. It is the belief that we can add Christ to our lives, but not subtract sin. Listen to this. It is a change in belief without a change in behavior. It is a spiritual experience without any cultural impact. It is revival without reformation or repentance. That We think that we can just add God to our already busy schedule in the same way that I think that I can add just one more helping of potatoes to a buffet plate. We think that we could just keep adding and adding and that it's just going to be fine just to add more of God to our already existing agenda, the agenda that we've worked hard on and and we've earned through the sweat of our brow and the perseverance of our spirit. And I don't want to give up. I don't want to surrender. So I'm going to add God as the cherry on the top of my Sunday. But what we need to recognize is that we cannot stay within this mindset that when we adhere to the gospel of addition without subtraction, we're missing the point entirely. How do we reject this not yet mindset? Let's take a little bit more of a deeper dive into the passage here. The first thing we must do is we must remember that we can't just add God as another part of our lives. We can't just add him as another part of our lives. We can't just add him as a cherry on top of our Sunday. We can't just add him as another piece to what we already have going when Elisha, as he's talking here in verse 19, it shows how Elijah came up to Elisha in the midst of his work, in the midst of what he was doing, driving the 12 yoke of oxen, and in the midst of that, Elijah throws his cloak around Elisha. And for us, that might be lost a little bit, but, but that, pr- that cloak of a prophet was very clearly a calling to changing your life, a calling that God has brought you and has now anointed you to be the next prophet that Elijah the background to this is that earlier in first Kings 18 is when there was the 450 Baal prophets and the Mount Carmel and that incredible story. And then after in first Kings 19 is when Elijah flees because Jezebel's after him and he ends up going to the mountain and it's, God doesn't meet him in the earthquake or the wind or the fire, but in the still small voice. And that still small voice tells him that his next steps are to go anoint two different kings and to anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, as his successor, as the next prophet. And so this is where Elijah comes in and he sees Elisha and he throws his cloak around him. And once that happened, Elisha could not have put that cloak on him as being called to be a prophet and then just go back to Pushing yoke of oxen. They could not mix. That we cannot just add God to what we're already doing and just say, that's it. But instead, we see this idea that, as Timothy Keller talks about, however, the Lord cannot be added to life as one more hedge against failure, he is not one more resource to use to help us achieve our agenda. He is a whole new agenda. That he's not like that thing of aspirin that you put inside your purse just in case you get a pain or a headache. He's not like that spare tire that you just put in the back of your car in case something blows out and you need help. He's not just the, uh, the um, fire hydrant says, in emergency, break glass and you use that. It's, it's the fact that He's not our last resort. He is our first resort. He's not the end of our list of things to do. He is the first and the foremost. That we recognize that we cannot just add him to our already existing agenda and just hope that he blesses what we do. Because if we add him into our lives and are truly open to surrendering then he's going to point out the sins that need to be subtracted. He's going to point out the fierce conversations that we've been hiding. He's going to point out the ways that our bitterness is destroying us. He's going to point out the ways in which we've harmed people and people have harmed us. And he's going to have to work and need and put us in the crucible sometimes to not harm us, but to shape us and mold us into who he's called us to become. And in the same way that Elisha couldn't just put on that cloak and try to live his life the way that he wanted and go back to his old life, we cannot just go back to the way that we've always lived and just say, okay, now I'm asked God and he's come with me. But I was talking to uh, Bryce Loki, he's, uh in the Navy and I asked him, hey, what are the rules for, for wearing your uniform? Like when you get to do this, like, you know, it needs to be something that it's when you're in the line of duty, when you're doing something, you don't just see someone who joins the Navy or other military and then they would wear it and then they go off and just go play a pickup game of basketball. Or they would go off and just do something that they normally would do that when you're wearing it, it represents something. It represents something bigger than yourself, but it also represents the fact that your life, there's a calling upon your life that's different than it was before. Now, am I saying that every single one of you has to just, you know, quit your job and do all this stuff? Well, if that's what the Lord's calling to you, then I guess so. But it's surrendering and offering up what it is that he has. I'm not saying all of you have to do that. I'm encouraging all of us to surrender and recognize that whatever God has for us is better than what we want for ourselves. And so the next thing, or actually rather, let me read this really quickly from Luke uh, Luke 9. When it talks about this idea that we can't just add God to our agenda. We can't just put on the clothes of being called to follow him and then go back to the way we've always lived and do the things we've always done. Because if we do, we'll always get what we've always got. Luke 9 talks about this, verse 23. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his, their life will lose it. but Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Another way to maybe ask that is, what good is it for us to try to add God to the rest of our experiences and try to gain what the world says is right and just hope that God can be the cherry on top of our Sunday and yet forfeit the life that he's meant us to have? And recognize that it's not about just making God part of our agenda, that when we are his and we've surrendered our life, he will do and can do and should do whatever he wants because his ways are above our ways, his, thought, his thoughts are above our thoughts, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails, many are the plans in a man's heart but the Lord is the one who determines our steps. That if we align our direction with the destination of following God, he will help us determine our step one step at a time, one day at a time, one decision at a time, until we look and we say, look how far we've gone. Not look how far we've gone from where we want to be, but look how far we've gone from where we once were when we were far from God, and now look at what he's been doing. And being able to pass that hope to generations upon generation. The last note for you down there is that we talked about how we must remember that we can't just add God as another part of our lives. Instead, we must ask God to help us surrender every part of our lives. Then we would ask him to surrender everything, to give up everything, to lay it all down. As we dive into First Kings 19, we see this section in uh, verse 20 and 21. Specifically, he says that, verse 21, so Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elisha and became his attendant. So what are are some of the areas in which Elisha had to surrender and some of the areas that we too may need to surrender? The first thing that he surrendered is we must surrender or we surrender our comfort. Our comfort, this idea that his yoke of oxen, the fact that oxen was expensive, and so to have 12 yoke of oxen, each yoke with two oxen each, means to have 24 different oxen. This was a wealthy man. This was someone who had comfort. They had. He had money. He had a safe home. He had a comfortable life. We surrender our comfort when we say, God, you can take my comfort Because the truth of the matter is that sometimes we find comfort and solace in our things and our stuff more than we recognize that when God takes away our things and our stuff, we can rely on God as the God of comfort. That as one person said before, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. We rely on on him, we surrender our comfort. Just as Elisha had to sacri- sacrifice his oxen, he, slatter- he slaughtered those oxen as a way of saying, I can't ever go back. I can't ever recuperate that wealth. I can't ever rebuild that. I'm going and I'm going in a new direction. We see that here that he surrendered. We must surrender our way of life. That the yoke, the yoke of oxen he was running, that was his work. That was his daily life. That he would go and he would attach the oxen. And like it said, he was driving the 12th pair. So this was his daily work. This is the job that he would do. And he surrenders his way of life. The way that he's always lived as being a farmer. And he surrenders that by breaking down the yoke and using that yoke to be the fire upon which the oxen would be sacrificed and cooked and made to bless the other people. Surrenders his comfort, money, safe neighborhood. Surrenders his way of life, his, his, his job, the way that he wants to live, the way that he's made a living. And we surrender our will. That Elisha's will would have been to continue to be a farmer, to live that comfortable life, to, to have things the way that he's always wanted them, and to be able to do that. But once the prophetic cloak went around his shoulders, he recognized that his life had to take a new direction. That once we've truly put upon The white robes that cleanse us and show us that Jesus has made us new, that when we were once far from him, that we are now made near to him, that he who knew no sin became sin so we might be the righteousness of God. Once we put on the robes that are no longer stained crimson, but as Psalm 103 talks about that as far as the east is from the west, so far as God removes our sins from us, that we were once crimson and now we are white and that we're able to be made new. Once we put those robes upon our lives, we cannot go back to living the way that we've always lived and doing the things we've always done. It would be like going to the beach and going and you get sand everywhere, places you didn't even know you could get sand, and you go in the swimsuit, you do all that, and you get all the towel together, you wrap all your stuff up. It's like doing that, going home, because there are very few things as refreshing as a warm shower after you're on the beach, and you go and you get clean, and then you put on the same sandy, dirty clothes again with all the sand, all the itchiness, all the discomfort. why would we go and put on the old self when we've been set free to the new self? Why would we try to go back to the old that has gone and fail to take hold of the new that has come, that we are new creations? Why would we try to hold on to our will when even Jesus said, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And so surrender is what we see Elisha, son of Shaphat, do. Surrender is something that our culture makes it hard for us to do. But surrender is what God is calling all of us to do. That Elisha performed more miracles than anyone other than Jesus. Did you guys know that? That of all the people in the Bible, Elisha did more miracles than anyone other than Jesus. Jesus. Imagine how many lives would have been affected and and made for the worse had he never surrendered. to He surrendered his will, surrendered his comfort, and surrendered his way of life. And then think about Elijah, who in the midst of his brokenness wanted to give up, but then God calls him onto the mountain and speaks in a still small voice. How many people would have been impacted if Elijah never surrendered to God's will? And as he surrendered to God's will, then Elisha was then impacted. And then Elisha performed more miracles than anyone other than Jesus. So how many steps of surrender have brought you where you are now from generations past? And how many steps of surrender that you make today will bless the generations coming? That we will always continue with a not yet mindset until we surrender, fully surrender our lives. So I'm going to ask all of you now, the band's going to come up, and we read earlier that Andy Stanley said, prudent people look as far down the road as possible when making decisions. I'm going to ask all of you right now to close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, I want you to think, I want you to ask God to reveal to you what road you are on now, and, and ask that he would reveal to look as far down that road as he would give you grace to see, and as you're standing on that road now, and you look as far down as possible, is that the destination that you want for your life, Are the choices that you are making today, that I am making today, are those choices, choices that one step at a time will get us to where we need to go, that we desire to go? Or is our intention to do those things, but our direction is still facing diametrically opposed to the destination we say we want? And if that's You, you're standing at the road, you're looking down as far as you can see, and if you look down 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years down that road, are you going to regret that you didn't make the decision to make that literal repentance U-turn when you had the choice now? In which area, ask God, in which area does my life, Lord, Does my direction not match the destination you would have for me? What way, Lord, you can ask, what way, Lord, has my comfort or my way of life or my will gotten in the way of you being my comfort for you being the way, the truth, and the life and from your will being better than mine? And will you regret right now not making a choice to repent, to make a 180-degree turn To change your direction while you still have a chance and to live in the life and the road and the path he has for you. Because if we trust in him with all our own heart and lean not on our own understanding and in all our ways we acknowledge him, he will make our path straight. He will direct our steps and he will hem us in before and behind. So with your eyes closed, we pray together, Lord, we thank you that you are here in this place Lord, we thank you that, God, it's, it's, it's tough for us to think of ways that our direction may not be aligning with the destination that we want to have. So Lord, work in us, shape us. Mold us. If that means it's in the heat of the crucible, take us through that heat, but let us to know that your loving hands are guiding us in the midst of it. If it's in the hills and the valleys, Lord, may we remember that where we can flee from your presence, we can't, because in the heights you are there, and in the depths that you are there. If it means that we need to surrender things in our lives that we know you're calling us to do, may we not hold on and say, We want to do that, Lord, but not yet. And Lord, I pray. That for some people here, we know that that means that it's a part of their life they need to surrender to you. For some people here, that means surrendering their entire life to you. That they've never given over their lives to your loving hands. Lord, I pray that you would stir and that you would call people to action. That you would call, Holy Spirit, people to repentance, to a U-turn and realigning their direction to where you would have them go. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the faith and the courage to wave our white flag of surrender. That it doesn't mean that we've been defeated. It means that you have won victory. It doesn't mean that we can no longer be ourselves, but that we can take hold of the men and the women you've created us to be in the first place. That it doesn't mean that we are now dead to ourselves. It means that we are dead to sin and alive in you. So Lord Jesus, we surrender all to you. We wave our white flags. The war is over. Love has won. Jesus, our Savior, has fought that battle. Lord, may we lay down our weapons now. We raise our white flags. We surrender. May you give us the courage to do that, not just today, but one day at a time, one choice at a time, one step at a time, and direct our paths in the direction you call us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to worship a song together, uh, singing a song together, and then in a few moments we'll have an opportunity to pray, but in this time, why don't you respond, listen to the words of the song, respond to the song, sing, whatever it may be, but may we take hold of this idea of raising our white flags, surrendering to God, and experiencing the life that he has for each and every one of us. Let's worship together. Inside our So as we close our service this morning, that the time for action does not end. That if you're someone who you recognize that there's an area of your life, whether it's one of the things we've talked about in this series or not, but if there's an area in your life that you are holding back, you say, Lord, I'm gonna do that, but not yet. And we need to surrender. That I would love to be able to come down here and, and be able to pray with you and talk with you and share with you. If you're someone who you don't know or you haven't yet, surrendered your life to Jesus I recognize that you might come to a church and say well I'm not going to do that until I have all the right answers I'm not going to do that until I feel 100% sure of everything and if that's you I'm so glad that you're here but I hate to tell you that it's going to take a step of faith his faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And, and without faith, Hebrews 11:6 says it's impossible to please God, that, that we need to take that step faith even when we don't have all the answers, even when we're not 100% sure. But when we are truly seeking for the truth, then I know that you will find him who is the truth and the way and the life. You will find Jesus. And if you feel like you want to surrender your life to Jesus, I'll be down here and I would love to be able to pray that prayer with you and to come alongside you in that journey. And as we leave this morning, may you know that you're never too far gone to make that U-turn and that repentance. And God is a God who's a father who loves to welcome his children back home. No matter how far down the road they've gone, may our direction towards him, not our, just our intention, may our direction determine our destination in our life, but also in eternity with Jesus. Thank you all so much for coming this morning. Cannot wait to start a new series with you next week, but do not leave this place if the work of the Lord is still working. Come forward for prayer. Ask for prayer. Surrender. Raise our white flag and live in the victory that comes alone in Jesus Christ. God bless you all. Thank you so much for coming. We'll see you next Sunday.